you're considering a water-based adventure, you should watch this first. Welcome to another Dragonlance Saga episode. My name is Adam, and today we're going to talk about waterborne adventuring in advanced Dungeons & Dragons and Dragonlance. I'd like to take a moment and thank the members of this channel, and invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlance gaming materials using my affiliate links. I am referencing the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon Master's Guide, Dungeon Survival Guide, Wilderness Survival Guide, DL12 Dragons of Faith, and the Atlas of the Dragonlance World. If I leave anything out or misspeak, please leave a comment below. Adventuring overland on Ancelon will quickly end in your needing to traverse streams, lakes, inland bodies of fresh water, and vast oceans of salt water. This may be done in theater of the mind narrative, or you can take a more rule-based adventurous approach. Dragonlance has a rich history of waterborne adventuring, with the heroes of the lands being forced to sail north from Ice Reach to southern Ergoth, and from Flotsam through the Blood Sea of Istar. Traveling via ship can be infinitely faster than traveling over land, and with it comes new possibilities for adventuring and encounters. Apart from the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons Dungeon Master's Guide detailing out random waterborne encounters in Appendix C, DL12 Dragons of Faith has a wonderful list of possible sea encounters from all over Ancelon in Chapter 7. While the scope of this episode is language and types of vessels for waterborne adventures on the surface, Dragonlance has vast realms and ruins to explore underneath its water's surfaces as well. I may discuss some of these in future episodes. The first step to understanding waterborne adventuring is to understand the vernacular associated with it. Let's cover some generic naval terminology to assist in the realism of adventuring on the water's surface. The Corvus is a bridge with a long spike in its end used by the Romans for grappling and boarding. The Devil is the longest seam on the bottom of a wooden ship. Devil to pay is chalking the seam of the same name. When the job is assigned, it is given to the ship's goof-off, and thus comes the expression, you will have the Devil to pay. The fore is the forward part of a ship. Hoist sails means to raise the sails. The lee is the side away from the direction from which the wind blows. Lower the sails means to let the sails down. A reef is an underwater obstruction of rock or coral which can tear the bottom out of a ship. Shearing off oars means accidentally or intentionally breaking oars of one or more ships while attempting to board or cripple the ship if it did not retract its oars. Step means to put the mast up. The stroke is the drummer and the beat he sets for the oarsman on a galley. To unstep is to take down the mast, and weigh anchor means the anchor is clear of the bottom. Now that you have some rough language to use, let's look at the anatomy of a seafaring vessel. Aft is at, in, toward, or close to the rear of the ship. Amidship is the middle of a ship. The ballast is the heavy material that is placed in the hold of a ship to enhance stability. A beam is a piece of timber perpendicular to the sides of a ship which supports the deck. The bilge is the lowest part inside the ship, within the hull itself, which is the first place to show signs of leakage. The bilge is often dank and musty and considered the most filthy dead space of a ship. The boom is a horizontal pole along the bottom edge of a mast to which the mast is fastened. 
Bow, or prow, is the front of a ship. The bowsprit is the slanted spar at a ship's prow jutting out in front of the ship. It's usually used as a lead connection for a small navigational sail. Broadside is a general term for the vantage on another ship which is absolutely perpendicular to the direction it is going. To get along broadside a ship was to take it at a very vulnerable angle. The bulkhead is a partition or dividing wall within the hull of a ship. A crow's nest is a small platform, sometimes enclosed near the top of a mast, where a lookout could have a better view when watching for sails or for land. The forecastle is the section of the upper deck of a ship located at the bow forward of the foremast. A gangplank is a board or ramp used as a removable footway between a ship and a pier. Gangway is a passage along either side of a ship's upper deck. The gunwale is the elevated side edges of a boat which strengthen its structure and act as a railing around the gun deck. Helm is the steering wheel of a ship which controls the rudder. The hold is a large area for storing cargo in the lower part of the ship. Hull is the body of a ship. The value of the hull is how much damage it can sustain before sinking without repairs. Jacob's Ladder is a rope ladder with wooden rungs used to access a ship from the side. The keel is the underside of a ship which becomes covered in barnacles after sailing the seas. The main is the longest mast located in the middle of a ship. Mizzen mast is the largest and perhaps most important mast. It is the third mast or the mast aft of the main mast on a ship having three or more masts. The poop deck, the highest deck at the stern of a large ship, usually above the captain's quarters. Port is the left side of the ship when you are facing toward her prow opposite the starboard. The quarter deck is the after part of the upper deck of a ship. Rigging is the system of ropes, chains, and tackle used to support and control the masts, sails, and yards of a sailing vessel. A rudder is a flat piece of wood at the stern of a ship that dips into the water and is used for steering. The rudder is controlled at the helm. The scuppers are openings along the edges of a ship's deck that allow water on deck to drain back to the sea rather than collecting in the bilge. Scuttle is a small opening or hatch with a movable lid in the deck or hull of a ship. Stern is the rear part of a ship. Starboard is the right side of the ship when you are facing toward her prow opposite of port. The stern post is an upright beam at the stern bearing the rudder. Tack is the lower forward corner of a fore and aft sail. The transom are any of several transverse beams affixed to the stern post of a wooden ship and forming part of the stern. And finally, the yard arm is the main arm across the mast which holds up the sail. Now that we understand some common sailing terms and ship anatomy, let's examine the general classes of vessels. First, let's start with rowboats. These are small boats with or without a sail, which are rowed by oars or paddles. A normal crew for a rowboat can be from one to ten or more men, depending on its size. Rowboats do not come equipped with armament and don't function well in breezes above 19 miles per hour. They have a hull value of one to four and tend to range from eight to 20 feet long and two to four feet wide. It can travel from one to three miles per hour, much like traveling underground. Underground water travel movement rates differ as well. Rowboats may travel from 30 to 120 feet per round, taking one to five rounds to achieve that speed. 
Barges or rafts are long, somewhat rectangular craft designed primarily for river transportation. A few larger and sturdier types are used for lake and coastal duties. Barges generally have a shallow draft, as do rafts, the former having a bow and side freeboard, with the latter having neither. Normal crew for a barge varies between 20 and 100 or more men, depending on the size of the ship and its purpose. Barges and rafts don't usually come with armament, but can be so equipped if desired. These types of vessels do not function well in winds above moderate breezes. They have a hull range of between 1 and 8, and typical sizes vary from 15 to 45 feet long and 8 to 20 feet wide. Barges can take from 2 to 5 rounds to get up to speed and can travel from 1 to 3 miles per hour. Underground water travel is from 20 to 45 feet per round, taking 2 to 10 rounds to achieve normal speeds. Galleys are long, slim oared ships. Crews for galleys depend on their size. Some can have as few as 30 men manning the oars, while others have been known to have 200 or more. Most galleys, because of the need for space for the men in the oars, do not venture far from land. The general construction is such that, even though she is seaworthy, it is more comfortable to be near land or sail the rivers and make camp on the shore. Armament on galleys range from a ram to ballastay. Some of the larger ones may even sport a catapult. Their hull value ranges from 2 to 16, and its sizes vary from 30 to 160 feet long and 8 to 30 feet wide. Galleys can take from 3 to 6 rounds to get up to normal speed and are able to travel at 4 to 9 miles per hour. Merchant ships are most commonly a small, wide-hulled vessel having a single mast and a lateen sail. She is not only favored by merchants, but pirates as well. She can be moved by sweeps at rowboat speed. Most ships of this type can feasibly carry a hundred or more men, but because of onboard conditions and money, ships are manned by a minimum crew of at least ten men, including the officers. Typical armament for this kind of ship includes ballastay and perhaps a catapult. Their hull value ranges from 6 to 48, and their size varies from 25 to 80 feet long and 10 to 25 feet wide. Merchant ships can take from 5 rounds to a full turn to get to normal speeds, traveling from 1.5 to 7 miles per hour. Warships tend to be fast, but at most times not very seaworthy, particularly the early ones. They feature two or more masts and are of caravel construction. They also have a distinctive overhanging forecastle and a rounded stern. The crew of a warship generally consists of two or three men to work each ballastay, three or four men to handle a catapult, and the rest to man the sails. It is possible to have 100 or more men on board, but because of the shortages of space for food and fresh water, the number is usually considerably less. Their hull values are from 7 to 42, with sizes ranging from 70 to 100 feet long and 15 to 25 feet wide. It typically takes a warship a full turn to get up to normal speeds of one-half to four miles per hour. Let me know if there are other aspects of waterborne adventuring you would like me to cover in future videos. But for now, that is all I have to say about waterborne adventuring in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Have you ever run a waterborne adventure? Are there any favorite monsters you like to throw at a ship? And finally, do you enjoy the more detailed ship-to-ship -ship travel and combat over the Theater of the Mind narratives? Leave a comment below. I'd like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this YouTube channel, ring the bell to get notified about upcoming videos, and click the like button. This all goes to help other Dragonlance fans learn about this channel and its content. Thank you for watching. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga, and until next time, remember, Palanthus has lived in peace and beauty for many centuries, but we will buy neither peace nor beauty at the price of our freedom.